I want to jump into a few things. I believe it's very important that on a bad day, everybody say this, on a bad day, I'm anointed to be the best there is. Say, my presence should demand an explanation. That means wherever you go, Jesus goes with you. Wherever you walk in, Jesus just showed up. Praise God. We got a lot of believers walking around like they don't have anything. But we come fully loaded, fully equipped. We are terrorizers, in the words of George W. We're terrorizers to the kingdom of darkness, right? Too much? Okay. But we recognize this, that God's calling us to live, move, and have our being. You know, you don't have to be depressed about what's going on in the world. We had a little meeting last night. We're talking about the dangers of artificial intelligence and other wickedness that the Antichrist agenda is trying to bring on the earth. Yes, it's happening, but you are the light in darkness. Jesus has called you in this time. The things that are coming that that Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24 and Luke 21, he didn't say these things to scare us. He said them to prepare us so we could go forward and see great victory. Go with me in your Bible right now to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. I want you to see something very important. You actually might not believe this is in your Bible unless I read it to you. Galatians chapter 1. Come on. How many of you are with me right now? This is a 12-hour message, but the more you say amen, the faster I can preach it. All right. Okay, we're we're moving. Okay, Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, go with me if you would to, I'll just get a running start at verse 3, because a text without its context is a pretext, amen? So let's give verse 3. It says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 3, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, pay very close attention to verse 4, who gave himself for our sins, that, everybody say that. That's a transitional understanding, right? That he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. If anybody ever asks you, what's the will of God in my life? You can point them to Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, and you can say that I be delivered from this present evil age. That as for me and my house, we shine a light in darkness, that we are delivered from the present evil that's on the earth. In other words, evil will not stop. The Word of God teaches us this. There's a lot of people that prophesy perpetual glory. It's going to get better and better and better and better and better and better, and then Jesus returns. That's a stupid doctrine. Because it just happens to not be what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches... The Bible teaches that it's going to get more difficult, that wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes in various places, pestilences. I remember when uh, the pandemic broke out, everybody freaked out, and they're like, oh, no, it's the end. We're in the Great Tribulation. I'm like, you need to read your Bible. This ain't the Great Tribulation. You ever hear people that say, God's judging this place. God's judging this place. No, God might have a little outburst here and there. He might have a moment where he's just like, yeah, you deserve it. You know, but... God God might have moments, right? But here's the deal. God is not that way. He took out all his judgment on Jesus. We've got to realize that. But when we're looking at this present evil age and the things that are coming, people sometimes say, no, I'm telling you, it's difficult. We're in the great tribulation. God is burning this place down. He's so angry. He just can't take it anymore. Everybody's going to pay. 
But ladies and gentlemen, we're not in a time of judgment. And people that think we are, aren't reading the book of Revelation real clear. Last time I looked around, I haven't seen hundreds of pounds of hailstones smashing through roofs and going all the way to the basement, going in places nobody can hide from them. I haven't seen earthquakes so big, the Bible talks about there being an earthquake that shakes the planet so hard that every island and every city, major city, all cities, will be raised to the ground. There'll be a time that's so difficult, men will bite their own tongues off out of trouble. There'll be a time that the wrath of the Lamb comes and it's so strong that people will cry out, let the mountains fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. Today we're like, some people got sick around the world that God's judging us. It's very different. Now, it was serious what happened, but that is not it. That's Matthew 24. Wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes in various places, pestilences, all these things that are happening, you've got to recognize something about it. God, or Jesus, prophesied and said, these are birth pangs. It means the more these things happen, the closer we're getting to the end. You know what that means? We ought to get happy. It's getting bad out there, but I'll tell you what, we're getting closer to the end. People are like, well, are we going to get the rapture? Are we going to be pre-mid or post? What are we? Well, praise God, you read your Bible and you figure it out. I personally believe I'm out of here on the first load. But if I'm wrong, we're going through. People are like, oh, you just got to get it right, brother. You got to get it right. You know, you get all these technological algebra, uh, Bible college, you know, students. They want to do, you know, ninja doctrinal studies with you. And they're trying to really break it down, break it down some more. And pretty soon you don't even know what they're talking about because you're so lost in the shuffle of the, you know, just the terminology and the voluminous volumes of their edumacation, you know. Praise God. Now listen, I study and I love the Greek. Rick Renner is one of my dearest friends. And I'll tell you what, that man, when he breaks it down, I'm like, "Uh, sir, may I have another? (laughs) Okay. But here's what I want to say to you. Praise God. And Rick, I believe, is watching this this morning. So God bless you, Rick and Denise in Moscow. We love you. Amen. Everybody's like, (laughs) amen. But now listen to me. I want to say something about this, that Jesus is calling you to a higher walk, and you're called to be delivered from this present evil age. You're called to be delivered. But in the middle of that deliverance, there's something else we've got to realize. It's not so much a war with the devil that we're having a problem with. The war is with you against you. That statement was not country. That was rock and roll. Because a lot of times we're fighting things and we think it's the devil fighting us. And yes, he fights us. But what we really got to do is get us in order. We get us in order. I've been finding so many people that have been asking, you know, uh, we had a, I had a wonderful conversation with one of the young people here just last night. And she's delightful. We were just talking about it. And we were talking about devotions and getting after the Lord more and more. And so many people are having this need to say, I want to have a passion to read my Bible, a passion to follow God, a, 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 you know, just a sense of hunger for it. And it's such a wonderful, noble thing. And we were having a great discussion about it last night. But I want to say something to all of us here. When we realize that God's called us, it's not about your passion and it's not about your hunger. God didn't make us, he didn't call us to be passions. 
He didn't call us to be hungers. He called us to be disciples. Does that make sense? Now, listen, I'm all for it. I love it when I get the, you know, tickle me Jesus moment and shiver me Jesus. Woo! I love that. I like it when I'm in a meeting and I'm like, oh, I can feel the presence of God. The holiness of God is so severe right now, right? You know, in the Old Testament, if they cried out, God, come be with us in the meeting, that would have been a suicidal prayer compared to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, they'd be like, Lord, be with us. These are the same people in Hebrews 12 that Moses said, I am afraid and trembling with fear because God was with them on Mount Sinai, right? But we have a greater promise, a greater covenant. we got Jesus in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. But what we've got to realize is it ain't about a feeling. It's like the Boston song. It's more than a feeling, right? Laughing and dreaming. See my Mary and walking away. No, anyway, not too much. That was way too much, right? Praise God. You are all welcome for that. Ha. But I want to say something to you about this is that we've got to realize it's not about how you feel. And feelings matter. We don't invalidate those, kick those to the curb and act like they don't count. They do count. God made a spirit, soul, and body. But what we've got to do is become disciples of this life in Christ Jesus. That means when you don't feel like it, you do it anyway. Okay, that wouldn't be on country to meddle. Okay. And when you start to recognize that God's calling you to do something, you know, a lot of people say, well, I know God called me or God said or God's dealing with me. You lost me at that phrase after that. Anything that comes after that absolutely should be surrendered to the fact that God told you, God called you, God marked you. How do we overcome in this present evil age? We get our mind renewed. Sounds like on Wednesday, you're about to hear some more about that. But you also begin to apply discipline. There's this little powerful word called discipline, because as disciples, that means we are disciplined followers of Jesus. Amen? I didn't get a lot of shouts in that. You're like, what is the feels? I want the feels. (laughs) I want the feels. Praise God. You'll have the feels, but I'll tell you what, a lot of the issue today is God saying, I'm here. I just need you to show up. Do you know most time when I minister or prophesy, I feel zero? I'm just kind of doing my job. It ain't about feelings. It's about can God count on you? Will you show up when others don't? Will you do it? Will you do it? Praise God. I told the Lord if he put me in ministry, I'd never quit on him. Ever. I told the Lord if there's people to minister to and I'm supposed to be there, I'm going to do it. Actually, the Lord had to deal with me on that. I was in Brazil. Carrie, you'll appreciate this. I was in Brazil, and I'd been ministering to hundreds and hundreds of people every night, personally prophesying to them over and over and over again. And one morning, I got up to go to a a session, and I'm like, well, it's that time. And you can only have so much espresso and so much things before your body says, there's no more in the tank, bro. And I tried to get out of bed, and I couldn't move. I couldn't move. My body just said, and we're done here. And I said, no, we ain't. And I got up out of bed, and I basically collapsed. That's only happened a few, few times in ministry. That's exciting. But when that took place, the Holy Spirit said to me, I need you to train people. I need you to train because you will not last, son. You physically won't last if you continue this way. It ain't about you. 
It's about the body, and it's about multiplying what I've put in you for the body. As a matter of fact, that's what fivefold ministry does. We raise people up, and I'll tell you, that, that got my attention. It was the first time I realized, wow, boy, sometimes you just can't continue. And I believe that God is wanting us to multiply through discipline so each one of us rises up in what we're called to do. I want to draw you a quick picture on the whiteboard. Jace, can you come join me? Praise God. I don't know if we need more than one person up here, but we'll try this. This whiteboard is awesome. I'll take the black marker. Thank you, sir. Let's try this out. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to draw a picture of what I believe is the world. I want you to see this. Everybody can see us okay? Say, preaching, Uncle Z. All right, I will. I will. Okay. Look at this here. We realize 1 Corinthians, I want you to see something. 1 Corinthians, that's 15. Verse 46, all right? 1 Corinthians 15, 46. Let's say that this represents the world that we live in, okay? This here, let's say it represents the realm of the natural. Okay, this represents the realm of the spirit. Everybody see that okay? So we realize there's two different arenas that we work through. Then we have this realm where I'll call this the veil or the soulish realm. Okay, this veil or soulish realm is the area where many people fall short. What do I mean by this? Well, 1 Corinthians 15, 46, it talks about that the spirit is not first. It actually says the natural is first, then the spirit. Okay, what am I talking about? Why are we bringing this out? The reason it says this is because, well, first and foremost, it's talking about Adam and Jesus, the first man was born, right? But the second became a life-giving spirit. It's talking about Adam and the last Adam, okay? There's the first Adam and the last Adam. Jesus isn't the second Adam. He wasn't plan B. He was the only other option. Does that make sense? So when Adam blew it, Jesus came as the second Adam. Not, not the, he, he was the last and final option. When Jesus is in Gethsemane and he's crying out to the Lord, he said, Lord, if it's possible, please take this cup from me. He meant that prayer. People are like, oh, no, Jesus just showed up and did what he did. No, he wrestled with his humanity, okay? And he was fully God, fully man, but he's wrestling with his humanity right to the point, I believe, he, he hit that button in his revelation where I think he realized who he really was in Gethsemane. I think he knew all along. I think he told people all along. But I think finally he realized, I'm the only option the Father has to save this world, to save the people. And finally, when they came to him in Gethsemane, and they said, where is Jesus, the one they call the Christ, or Jesus of Nazareth, rather? And he said, you don't understand. He said, I am he. In Greek, the word he's not there. He said, I am. Think about that. Almost 700 foot soldiers come to get him. They're coming armed. They come to get Jesus. And they're like, where is Jesus? Where is he? And he said, you don't understand. I'm God. I am. It was the same I am from Mount Sinai. The same I am that I am that I am. Blasted across those guys in John 18 and they all fell to the ground. Boom. That was like a little Benny Hinn meeting or something right? They all hit the ground. (laughs) 
They're, they're laying on the ground. They're laying on the floor. And uh, I think that's just how it went down. I think Jesus did that. Now, if you look into that whole story, there's so much going on in that picture. But Jesus recognized who he was. He is the last Adam, the last hope for mankind. That's why through his obedience, he learned obedience. He learned discipline as a son. And because of his intense obedience, he gained the name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, okay? And that is why we're little anointed ones. We're chips off the old block. We are disciplined followers of Jesus, right? Somebody said this, and I really agree with it. If you do things from a place of fear, it's legalism. If you do it from a place of love, it's holiness, Anyway, come on. So let's look at this here. So first in the natural, then in the spirit. Now, when we're realizing this is about Jesus and Adam in context, right? We realize that's what that's really about. But there's a principle here. And the principle is there's something you engage first in the natural. Let's say that this represents the natural world you live in. This is the spirit. But between the two is your soulish veil, which is made up of what? Your mind, Will, right? And emotions. That is what makes up the soulish realm, okay? Now, in this soulish realm, this is the veil that stands between. So first in the natural, then in the spirit. Everybody say, first in the natural, then in the spirit. Now, let's say this even a greater way. We know in Ephesians chapter 2, around verse 8, it says that we are saved by grace. By grace, we are saved through our faith. Everybody with me? So let's say the realm of the spirit is where God dwells, and in the realm of the spirit, everything's done. It's all done. I believe it's Hebrews chapter 12 that you begin to recognize. It talks about that we have the spirit of just men made perfect. In other words, everything in the spirit is done. You guys with me? We could say by grace. Okay? So this is the realm of grace. So this is where everything you need is, right? But then there's the natural. And the natural does not have everything you need. As a matter of fact, the natural, the principle is, you're confronted with the natural every day, not the spirit. And anybody that says different, I just, they're like smoking crack or something. They're like not really with it. Everybody okay? Now, you realize that. Like, a lot of people, they wake up in the morning and they're like, oh, they wake up and you hear a harp. They step out of bed. They're like, good morning, Lord. I don't know about you, but some people also wake up. They roll out of bed. They're like, Egh. and they're like, good Lord, it's morning. <laughs> And so you recognize this, and you've got to see something about it, is that when people wake up, they're not faced with the Spirit. Hallelujah. You know, you don't wake up in the morning and go, oh, hallelujah. Now, maybe you have an afterglow from a meeting, or you've been with Ben and Kara, and there's a good meeting going on. You wake up, and you're like, I feel the Spirit waking up, but that is not the norm. Most people wake up, and they're like, coffee, now. You know? 
Yep, I got taxes to deal with. Got to deal with my boss today. Man, I got to deal with my spouse. I got to deal with what I'm working through. I got stuff to do. Car's broken. Get out of the way, dog. You know, all that stuff, right? You're working through the process. That's called the natural, where there is no anointing, but nothing but confrontation of what you know is not working, okay? So you wake up to that, but what do you do? This is the realm, not of grace, but the realm of faith. This is where we apply faith. Faith is the evidence, the substance of things hoped for, right? We realize we've got to go into this realm where you make your five senses, which is this soulish arena. We could just say this Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. It says, by reason of use, we exercise our senses. That's the mind, will, and emotions. We exercise them and tell them to submit to the word of God. That's why you ought to pray in tongues like never before, and you ought to read the Bible. You say, how long do you read the Bible for? Till it starts talking back to you. From the inside out. Now, what happens though, and here's the thing I want to really get into. What really begins to happen is when you begin to seek God, and you do something by faith, and you step into it, let's say... Let's say you're believing for a healing, or let's say you're believing for financial breakthrough. So you begin to say, okay, I'm going to do this. It's not logical. It doesn't make any sense. This is the place where you have a peace that surpasses understanding right here. Your understanding is your mind, will, and emotions. And you get peace from the realm of the spirit that when you read the Bible, John 6, 63, my words are spirit. And you begin to surpass this natural understanding until it impacts the natural and empowers your faith. That's why you read the Bible. That's why you pray in tongues. But let's say you take uh, giving, for example, okay? So you're saying, there's, I'm going to take resources. I'm going to sow. Your mind will and emotions go, if you take what's in your hand and you send it away from you, you no longer have it in your hand. I remember the first time I ever sowed a seed in, in uh, ministry. And I sewed a lot. For us, it was like $100. I was like, that's 100 bucks. It was a lot of money. And you know what I'm talking about? $100 would be a lot of money. I sewed that. And I remember watching the offering bucket go. I put it in there. <laughs> I thought I could still get it. I can get it back, Jesus. But what happens is, is you sew... You sow, and suddenly you go past your natural logic, and you go into the realm of the spirit. When you're sowing, now people all this, I don't want to get into this issue, but you realize, I think it's around Hebrews chapter 7, verse 8, where it talks about that the, here, mortal men give tithes, but there, he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. You ever hear that before? Yeah. People like, tithing's not in the New Testament. Well, Hebrews, I think, is a New Testament book. But when you look at this, it begins to talk about the here and there principle, right? Here and there. When you sow here, you do something there. People are like, yeah, I give money and it goes to that 
preacher. It goes to the ministry. It goes to that church. You know, what, what are they doing with my money? It's like it ain't your money now. You've let it go. And whatever, so, this set me free, by the way, because I've sewn into things, then I watch things go a direction I didn't appreciate. And you watch that. You know what, though? It's not really going to them. You have a spiritual connection with God. Here, yes, you did something, but there, he received it. Okay? So you do this, and it goes into the realm of the unseen in the spirit, and then it begins to incubate and create a reaction. A reaction happens, then suddenly you have a manifestation. I call this a supernatural reaction. Okay? you got to do something by faith here to get a supernatural reaction, which is already done there, but you get it to manifest back into your natural experience. Okay? So what does this mean? It means you sow money, you lay hands on the sick, you begin to ask Jesus into your heart to be your Lord and Savior, you give your life to him. In the natural, you pray a prayer by faith. In the spirit, you're completely regenerated to God the Father. doesn't make any sense. But here's the number one thing. We are fighting. Are you ready? This realm right here. Why? Because Romans chapter 7 talks about there's a law. Let me go there. Romans chapter 7. Let me show you something. Romans chapter 7 and verse 23. Romans 7 23. I want you to see this. This is really important that you get this today. Romans 7, 23. But I see another law in my members. Warring. Warring. Warring against the law of my mind. The law of this, the NIV says, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. But notice, though, there's this scripture, and it's saying the law of the mind. That's the soulish realm. What does that mean? What does it mean by the law of the mind? The law of the mind, simply put, is this. Whatever you meditate on, you're going to produce. And so you get this scenario that begins to fight you, and this is what I call... I call this, so when you sow, for example, right here, after you do a faith action, suddenly a war breaks out. I call it a seed war. A seed war breaks out right here. Not here. Done. Right here, it's preaching at you. It ain't done. But the seed war is when... It's trying to get you to break, and it's trying to get the law of your mind to concede to the natural. Does that make sense? Be healed in Jesus' name. Nothing happens. Only in the natural, nothing happened. But in the spirit, it's done. So what you got to do is keep renewing that mind, keep believing God until what is already done here bursts through this seed war in your soul and you have a natural reaction. Now, one of the ways that you can do a shortcut, I like shortcuts. I do. Jason, I like them. I like shortcuts. Not biblically speaking, I like to just get results. I like to get results. I don't mean that we do a shortcut and we don't do the due diligence. I'm talking about going from one point to another quickly so we get the results the Bible talks about. 
One way you can get quick results in this area of the soulish arena is by praying in tongues. If you don't know what else to do, you know when the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, though I pray with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. But notice it says of men and angels. Of men and angels. Tongues of angels. Angels. Tongues of angels. Tongues of angels. Why would it say tongues of men and tongues of angels. I believe when you're speaking in tongues, you're releasing the servants of fire. You're releasing them to have some raw spiritual horsepower that comes in and brings results. So when you're speaking in tongues, it actually suspends your reason. Right? It suspends it. And it begins to bypass all this natural nonsense we fight with all the time and you just begin to suddenly see this happen where you're flowing in and out of the realm of the unseen into the seen. Your mind can't mess it up. So you're beginning to go back and forth through the realm of the unseen into the seen and when you pray in the spirit and with understanding, that's what this is, in the spirit and with understanding, in the spirit and with understanding, in the spirit, and the more you can stay in this arena where you're just walking and praying in tongues, you're doing what Jude talks about. You're building yourself up in your most holy faith by praying in the spirit. What that means is you're renewing your mind so you can begin to see, say, understand, and your faith gets stronger. So when you read the Bible and you pray in tongues, you become a very potent force. You become a wrecking ball to the kingdom of darkness. And they're like, well, it looks like all the things are going bad in the world. The nation's going to go under. We're giving it over to the CCP. We're seeing all these things take place. We're going to have World War III and our president's having ice cream. Look at the balloons. So, Rocky Road, <laughs> right? Yeah, some people look at that and be a little discouraged. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, when you got faith in you, can I give you one more scripture? Can you take it? Are you sure? Okay, let's go here. I want to go to 1 John real quick. 1 John. Hallelujah. Oh, I thank you, Jesus. We're going to drop kick the kingdom of darkness right now. This is going to help you. Thank you, Jesus. First John, I want you to see something. If we could, let's go to... Mm -mm -mm. There we go. First John chapter 5. And let's get a running start or just go right into it. We know that we're the children of God. First John chapter 5, verse 4. First John 5, 4. Give me an amen if you're with me. Amen. For whatever is born of God, look at this. It's like the two just go together. Whatever is born of God. Somebody say, I'm born of God. Born of God. Say, I was born in Zion. Born in Zion. Jesus made you born of God. When you gave your life to Jesus, you traded your life for his. You're now born of God. You are the seed, you're in the seed of Abraham. But notice it says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. The world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, 
overcome the world, our faith. The world in that scripture is the Greek word cosmos, and it's K-O-S-M-O-S, not cosmos like outer space. It's talking about, just for simple understanding, it's talking about the public. It's talking about the social structure you live in. It's talking about society's way of thinking. Your faith, I think it's the message that says, this is the power that brings the public or the world to its knees. Our faith. Not our feelings. Not our happy, clappy moments. Not sunshine and rainbows. Not visiting heaven 15 times a day which I am all for if it's real. But what overcomes the world is our faith. There's, there's a difference between those that have staying power and don't, those that are know how to stand and don't. It's almost like when life throws you lemons, you throw them back. Well, anyway, it's like when, you, when, you, when you're in a circumstance where the world's hammering on you and hammering on you. Every one of us, if I interviewed you and we did a scar, you know, competition, where we stood around and just compared scars, that'd be a really depressing meeting. And this is the time that Jaguar got me. I was running through the bayou, you know. This is that time that, you know, this is the time that that deacon-possessed board, like, really got me. You know, you ever been in those churches that are deacon-possessed? Those are fun. Too much? Everybody okay? And so, but you realize, you realize something about this, though, that... God is calling you to have that raw spiritual horsepower. As a matter of fact, when the world comes at you, you're one of the believers that's going to put your mouth guard and be like, all right, I guess it's prison rules then. <laughs> okay, yeah. You get that Mike Tyson anointing. I'll punch you in your mouth, you know. <laughs> Step off, you know. <laughs> I'll tell you right now. <laughs> anyway, praise God. Can you imagine being in a traffic stop and you bump into a guy in front of you and you're laying on the horn and you're like, who do you think you are? All of a sudden Mike jumps out, what you doing? I'd be like, oh, that'd be, whatever. Okay. He'd be like, sir, my mistake. <laughs> you know? But listen to me, you got to realize something about this. God's calling you to bring the world to its knees, to drive the world to its knees. And here has been the deception in the church. And I love the church. I love the body of Christ. I love the preachers who preach this stuff. But they preach, oh, five steps to a whole better you. Five steps to just really being happy. And that's good and fine. The scriptures do promise us actually happiness. I believe in Psalm 112. People say, oh, happiness is never promised in the Bible. Not so. I've seen it in the Psalms. You can be happy. Amen. But listen to me. When you recognize this picture that there's so much of this current message, I call it the pretty, pretty pony gospel. It's a pretty, pretty pony, right? It means that you have either people preaching such an extreme legalism that nobody can keep, or it's grace gone off the rails. You ever been around the grace gone off the rails crowd? It's like, oh, just sleep around. That's fine. Oh, just do what you want. It's fine by God. God actually likes you the same. He does, but you're opening up some stuff, right? Praise God. It's going to kill you. If you got a spirit of preversion on you, cast it out. <clears throat> I'll say it grammatically correct. Perversion. <laughs> I just thought it was funny to mispronounce it. Nick's over there like, hey. So. 
But you realize this, though, is that I'll tell you what, praise God. You know, holiness is a byproduct of discipline, obedience, obeying God, following this stuff. Holiness is attractive. It means that you're set apart. And God has that for you. But our faith developed is the power that brings the world to its knees. Maybe somebody can help me. I believe it's like Psalm 16 or something where it begins to talk about costly in the sight of the Lord is the loss of one of his saints. The word actually is precious. But do you know when it's talking about precious? It means expensive to the Lord. Do you know there's a difference between your basic saint and those who are developed? People are like, God loves us all the same. He does. But there's different value on other ones who've developed their senses. They've developed their walk. They become precious in the sight of God for effectiveness. Does that make sense? And right, where was it? I got it right. Praise God. Psalm 16, verse 3. Thank you. Praise God. Psalm 16, verse 3, and it talks about that when you begin to lose, it talks about in that psalm that costly or precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints, his precious ones. What it's talking about, too, though, is when people begin to lose or God loses highly developed believers. You know, there's a difference between a new convert and somebody when they're older and they've developed in what we're talking about here. They've developed. It takes time to develop. That's why discipline is in order. It's time to stop thinking about what God can do for you and what you can do for the Lord. God will meet you in the doing. And I'm not talking about a works righteousness thing where you better get after it or else. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about basic Christianity 101, living sacrifice, Romans 12 stuff. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. I don't know if I want to believe that. Well, don't let the Bible get in the way what you believe then. <laughs> That's what Andrew Womack said to me in the green room. We we're having a talk about the gap theory. He's like, Joseph, don't let the Bible get in the way what you believe. <laughs> I was like, Andrew, since you're the man, I'll just let that go. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God. Here's what I want to say to us today. You were born for this time. God's not on the throne wringing his hands saying, what are we going to do? The spirit of the Lord is not afraid of the future. He looks at it with boldness. He just wants people to agree with him. And people ask, well, okay, so what do we do? we got a political mess going on. We're about to see an economic turmoil like we've never witnessed before. Uh, a friend of mine who's prophetic reached out to me and said, Joseph, I had a word about the CBDC, the central bank digital currency, and they said, I believe the Lord is saying something to, in this, and I bore witness to it. I believe it's not going to go how these nefarious, lizard, wicked overlords uh, believe it's going to go. I believe it's going to be a mixed bag for them. I believe they're going to try to spring this stuff, but America is different. We got a lot of believers here. I know we got a bunch of uh, wicked slime bags in, in places of authority right now. People are like, can you really say that? Yes, we should say more things. But but when you look at what's actually going on, we got righteousness also in a place of authority. The Lord spoke to me and said the number one superpower in the world would be the body of Christ if we'd ever get it together. 
You know, the devil couldn't beat the church in the New Testament. He couldn't beat the church since Acts chapter 2. So he did the next best thing he could. He joined it. And he denominized the nation. He's like, we sprinkle, we dunk. We speak in tongues, we don't, right? All these different things people believe in. But if we ever united as the body, we'd be an unstoppable force. We'd be the number one superpower in the world. Not politically, but yes, politically. I don't believe in a, uh, a dominion theology which says we got to get the whole world fixed so Jesus can return. I believe in an influence theology where we stand up and we bring the influence of God's goodness to every sector of society and preach the gospel. What is that uh, St. Francis Assisi where he says, uh, preach the gospel wherever you can and if necessary, use words? I think that is stupid. I think that's a stupid saying. I get the principle, be good, be nice, be kind, wash their car, you know, all that stuff. I get it. I'm good with that. Do a good job at work. Amen. You should. But nowhere in the Bible does it just say by your good works. It does. It says, let your light shine, all that. But Romans chapter 10, it says pretty clearly, how will they hear without a preacher? Meaning faith comes by hearing, not by seeing. Not by being an example. You just got to let your light shine. Yeah, by opening your mouth. I was on a job site one time, and a guy's getting all foul, and he's doing all this stuff, and he came at me strong on the job site, and I thought, I'll just show him the love of Christ. I'll just be kind. Actually, that's not what happened at all. I was like, hey! He's coming at me and saying this stuff and profanity, and like he was manifesting a demon. And he's like, what would you say if I said all this? And he started saying all these perverse things in my face, you know, coming at me many, many years ago. He's like, how would you respond to that? It was weird. So I looked at him and said, I'd say, I bind that spirit of perversion in Jesus' name. And he's like, ugh. And he did one of those, and he almost fell out, and he ran out of the room. He comes back to me the next day. He's like, hey, can I ask you a question? (laughs) I said, yeah. He said, you know, you said some words. They were like magical. He's like, what were those powerful statements you made? Or do you practice some kind of like Eastern religion? And I was like, no, it's just the name of Jesus. And you got demons, bro. You need to get saved or you're going to go to hell. That's when you're prophetic and you evangelize. (laughs) Prophetic evangelism. Sin or burn, you know, Jesus is the way. (laughs) Praise God. Maybe that's too blunt. (laughs) But praise God. Oh, my goodness. Jesus loves us so much. I was on a, a flight. I was just telling Ben and Kara about this. I was on a flight with one of the, the founder, not the founder, but one of the overseers of the Universalist Church of Europe. That was fun. That was a good time. I'm sitting there, and I opened my Bible, and they jumped me on the plane. They're like, what are you reading that for, trying to fall asleep? And I'm like, excuse me, did I, did I mess with your moment, you know? And they're like, you know, trying to, like, come at me because I had my Bible there. And they started going off, you Christians are so bigoted, you Christians are this, you Christians are that. You know, we accept everyone. All the colors of the rainbow. <laughs> da, da, da. Nobody? Okay. And so... and so I look at this person and I'm just like hey I'm like so really so you accept fundamental al-qaeda terrorists in your group and they were like well well, no I mean because they're dangerous I was like hold on so you are biased and they're like what are you talking about I said no hold on do you have mass murderers in your group do you have some of that how about some you know pedophiles you got those in your group and today that'd probably be like what's wrong with that (laughs) I don't know wood chipper anointing anyone right but (laughs) But you realize that when it, 
Nobody? Okay. I was in a church one time, and I, the pastor's like, you know, we got some pedophiles in here. I was like, really? So I stood in the, in the pulpit. I'm like, hey, anybody ever touch my kids? I'd beat you to death with a shovel. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's a series I preach. I'm just kidding. And, <laughs> and so, <laughs> praise God. So this universalist person's going off, and they're just like this and that and that. And finally, I just said, look, you believe all this stuff, and you think you got some philosophy, but it all comes back to the truth, and the truth is always the same, good and evil, light and darkness, Jesus and the devil. And I said, the problem is you don't believe in truth. And they said, well, I, I believe that everybody has their truth. I said, so is there any absolute truth anywhere? And they said, no. I said, are you absolutely sure about that? <laughs> Jesus loves us. Listen to me. You're loaded. You are called for this time. You're marked to make a difference in your culture. You're marked to make a difference in your family. You are not on the receiving end of this thing. You're anointed for this time. God has called you. He's anointed you. The face of the lion is on this generation. And we are not to be afraid of these wicked rulers and these wicked things that are trying to steal our kids. Rather, we're to rise up and cause the world to fall to its knees at the faith of Jesus. And the way we do it is, first of all, we read our Bible, we say our prayers, and we do our push-ups. You say, do your push-ups? Yeah. I asked Rick Renner that question. I'm like, okay, what should I do with my life? He's like, stay close to your wife, read your Bible, and do your push-ups. Yes, sir. I got to tell you guys something. We need to get serious about what God's calling us to do. We have a very serious issue that this nation's about to face. And you were born for this time. Let me, let me kind of wind it down with this thought. You know the reason we get afraid of stuff? Here's why. Because we don't really believe in eternity. Not really. Think about it. If we actually believed what the Bible said, if I had another 20 minutes, I'd break down the eschatological timeline and talk about the rapture and how we're going to be up there and come back and we're going to have lightsabers and cut down the beast and the Antichrist. It's going to be awesome. Right? We're coming back. That's right. <laughs> la 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 the lord will be returning we'll be with him la 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 it's gonna be awesome that's when we're gonna come back in the battle of armageddon just so you know we leave at the end of this age we go with the lord we go with the lord we're gonna have the bema judgment of god where he does the rewards judgment Wipes away our tears. We have the marriage supper of the Lamb. And at the end of that, Jesus will be like, you guys good? We'll be like, we're good. He's like, let's go back. Together. And he's not coming back as a lamb. I don't know where people get this idea. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to be like, you know, he's just going to bring peace on earth. He's going to bring all this kindness. Praise God. He's going to be the Mother Teresa of the end times. God bless her. But Jesus is going to come back as the lion. The wrath of the lamb is a little different than the kindness of Jesus and peace on earth and goodwill towards men. That will not be the song of the end times. It will not be peace on earth and goodwill towards men. It's going to be thunderbolts and lightning. Very, very frightening. <laughs> and we're going to come back with him. 
And he's going to come back, and the beast and the false prophet, they'll be there trying to deceive everybody, wipe out the planet and all that. And Jesus is going to come back, and it says he will capture them and then destroy them with the breath of his mouth. I think that's an interesting thing. When you look at time frames, he's going to capture them. It could be like the hag, like the war tribunal. You know what I'm talking about? It could be like a global war tribunal where Jesus puts them up on display and he's like, they're captured. They were liars. They're the counterfeit. I'm the real. And then he's going to blow them away to the lake of fire. He's like, you boys don't even get to visit hell. You're going straight to the lake of fire. Enjoy. Praise God. I don't know about you. That's my king. When it says he has fire in his eyes and a sword in his hand, that's not to groom us. At least he pet you with the sword. <laughs> He's going to give darkness a close shave, but God is good. Listen to me right now. You ought to knock the spirit of fear out of your life. We're in a crisis fatigue moment where there's so much information that's hammering us and hammering the culture. And you need to fortify yourself. We no longer have the option to not be reading the Bible, praying in tongues, and being disciplined believers. And first and foremost, it starts with your mind. If you can control this computer right here, this mechanism of the soul, everything in the spirit is available to you. Everything. And this is how we stand up. Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, in this present evil age. We're delivered. We just need to know it, enforce it, and see it manifest in the natural.